if I can spot a truth that exists across domains, across disciplines, you know, if I can see it at work, in nature, in business, in my family life, in sports analogies, like I really get excited about those kind of principles that seem to cut across domains. And so organizational physics is a set of like four kind of basic principles that you can apply to any situation and get deep insight about what's causing that system or that behavior and therefore what to do about it, whatever it might be. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm speaking with and learning from Lex Sisney. I first came across Lex when he wrote a book called Organizational Physics. Now, it's an odd title, so it intrigued me. And we chat about today why he called it that, and it's really, he's, he's looking for some, like in physics, there's some laws of physics. He's looking for some repeatable laws, which he believes are true at home, in our home life, in nature and at work, things that help explain systems. And and how really when he's working with his clients, they have a systems challenge. They're just thinking about the problem the wrong way. And he brings them a, a way to think about designing their structure. And so rather than as a hierarchy and as a, and an org chart, he said, look, there are things that should be short-term and things that should be long-term and things that should be effective and things that should be efficient. And we we ask people to do multiple jobs where all of that's messed up. So it's not a surprise that things get broken. He also comes from a family where if you're late for a meeting, you have to do 10 burpees. So he's the punctual Lex Sisney. And we chat about his new book, which is called Design to Scale. He there is saying, here's some examples of things that he found to be true when he was scaling his tech firm and work that he's done with clients over the last uh, the last 10 years. So fascinating conversation, a new way to look at your organizational design. And hopefully if you're stuck anyway, if you feel as though you're just, things aren't as easy as they were, things are taking too long. And certainly when we get into, right at the end, when we get into book recommendations. He's got some great book recommendations where quite often he finds the problem is that product management is missing inside an organization. So he's got a couple of books, which he thinks will help people understand that and help them plug that gap. Great conversation with Lex. Love talking to him. I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation. So I'm Lex Sisney. I'm an organizational scaling coach at Organizational Physics. And where does the physics bit come in? Physics bit comes in as a metaphor. It's a way of thinking 
Okay. So I really like, let me put it this way. If I can spot a truth that exists across domains, across disciplines, you know, if I can see it at work in nature, in business, in my family life, in sports analogies, like I really get excited about those kind of principles that seem to cut across domains. And so organizational physics is a set of like four kind of basic principles that you can apply to any situation and get deep insight about what's causing that system or that behavior and therefore what to do about it to create more breakthroughs, greater ease, greater success, better team management, better strategy, whatever it might be. So give us an example. Yeah, the, the most important example is uh, each of us has finite energy and time. Uh-huh. Breathe that in with me, okay? Yeah. That means you, me, your family, your head of sales, your whole organization, it has finite energy and time. So what happens to your business if it's not getting any new sales? What happens? Dies. It dies, right? What happens if you don't get any food to eat? We, we die, okay? That's true all systems, all levels. And the key insight here is that the environment trumps all. If we're not able to get new energy from the environment, our system will perish, okay? But there's another law of physics at work in all systems that is called the law of entropy. And you can just think of entropy as an energy loss, disintegration, you know, maybe one metaphor that might be helpful to listeners is it, let's imagine that your life is a boat or your business is a boat, okay? Now, strategy would be where you want to sail, awesome, okay? But if there's a freaking hole in the hull, you would be well served <laughs> to go plug the leak, right? Yeah, or at least start bailing frantically. <laughs> yeah, like plug the leak. So each of us has finite energy and time. Every system does. If there's a leak, you know, showing up in the business as like too much friction, sales is misaligned with operations, the co-founders are no longer sharing the same vision and values, or just this, just I want you to trigger your awareness that that's stealing from top line performance. If you're sincere about scaling your business, you don't let that stuff linger, man. You got to go identify what's causing the leak and plug it. And if you do, by law, you now have more capacity to do business expansion, innovation, right? Capture market share. But if you don't, you're going to continue to struggle. And that's like the base in baseline insight of all of, all of my work. It's simple as it sounds. Also, though, that continuum that people are on is not linear. No. I think it's exponential. I Because you, you, you were talking about boats. I, I used to have a boat. We used to race. We were last all the time. All the t- <laughs> and like if somebody sank, we then weren't last. And then I thought, we don't run our businesses like this. So I got a crew spot on the boat that won all the time. Yeah. And it was it was night and day. There was no friction. They went over the line first. They made no mistakes. They won by four minutes. Right. And then I contrasted that to our boat. And it was like, we just didn't have good enough sailors. Well... <laughs> It's actually a really good question, and it it warrants a little bit deeper thought, okay? Every one of us is in a hunt for world-class talent. Those sailors on that top-performing boat weren't just operating as individuals, right? The captain of that ship had thought things through pretty deeply, and he had created an environment that attracted top-notch sailors. Yeah. That includes the culture, you know, what are core shared vision and values, how do we operate around here? That included right good tactics, good strategy, but it also included um, you know a good boat design, 
right? I'm sure the design at that level was all the same, but you've seen like in the America's Cup, how a change in design can create real breakthroughs. And also, I imagine they were pretty innovative on their approach or their processes they used to deploy, you know, pre-race, during the race and post-race. And all those things have to come together. And what a lot of us do is we just simplify things to, oh, I need better people, you know, or I, I got to get on the right crew. And it, it certainly that matters. I'm not saying it doesn't. But if you think of it like a designer, like how do I design this crew, this boat to win races now and over time? Uh, within the rules, they had some innovative rigging strategies, which didn't work, w- weren't useful every day, but in an extreme condition, they made all the difference. There you go. And so there were just some, because they, they'd done it before. They'd been doing it forever. The, their, their skipper was probably one of the best amateur sailors in the country. Nice. That was a cool experience, I imagine. It, it was very good. So look, what was your journey? How did you end up thinking, I now know something that the world doesn't know that I should share with them? Because like, what was your painful, what was your painful journey? The pain that generated the insights was I was a young CEO, like late, late twenties, early thirties in the United States. I had started and was scaling one of the country's fastest growing technology companies at the time. Okay. So if you were an outside observer, it looked like a trajectory like this, you know, just, but if you were in the, in the environment, it was massive amount of chaos. Okay. And, uh, I felt like I was a good leader at strategy. You know, I said no a lot to opportunities because I really wanted us to focus. I really put my heart and soul into building a great culture and trying to attract great people. And that was kind of the depth of my knowledge at the time, right? And it works for a short amount of time. And then you, the business reaches a stage of complexity where there, there's more that's required. And I lacked the depth of awareness to know what to do. So I was getting lots of advice. You know, I was seeking advice, like board, one board member would tell me to do this. Another would tell me to do this. I read books, you know, and I ended up creating this hodgepodge of different ideas and tactics. It, it didn't lead to breakthroughs. It just led to muddled thinking because I was trying to navigate this milieu of ideas, but no real framework to anchor it all on. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay. So I, uh, I finally broke down and I, I, I started looking for a scaling coach, you know, without even knowing the term. Like, I'm like, I, I need a model to think differently about this. Who can guide me through this set of internal operational challenges I'm having? You know, they, I don't think I need to say what those operational challenges are. Every scaling company experiences them, you know, but it's like right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. What used to be this passion led startup where people would just kind of organically move around and get stuff done starts to bog down you know how big were you at this point oh probably probably 125 150 people yeah so you meet people in the elevator you don't know who they are yeah nobody knows what everybody does anymore yeah it's just things get more complex as you scale up and then things have to change and but like my my primary drive motivation was i don't want to become a stodgy company like i don't want to lose this core culture I worked so hard to help incubate and and sustain you know so I got uh I was fortunate because I was introduced to a guy named Sunil Davidi who was with the Adesis Institute and Adesis is not very well known but he should be because he's a master of corporate life cycles okay and uh that's the idea that just as you parent your children differently at different stages 
And you'd be a really bad parent if you try to treat your three-year-old like they're already 13 or vice versa. Like you would fail as a parent, right? You'd get locked up. Yeah. Leaving leave well, them home alone. Un, you know, ironically, business leaders, we, we don't often think that way. Like it's rare to find a life cycle strategist in business still today. And to me, it's insane. It's like you're doing the, you're doing the right strategy for the wrong stage. Failure, you know? Or you're applying the right management tactics at the wrong life cycle stage, like disaster. And I was doing all that unconsciously because they didn't have the frame of reference. So they really helped me to um, re-architect, you know, my approach, kind of give me a way to think about some of these challenges. And that business went on to be the leader of its type. What was interesting, though, is the same core team. I just kind of rearranged people into some new roles. I energized a new management process, you know. And uh, I learned to lead a little bit better. And you just, just imagine having that experience. Like it's a total cluster, same, but then same team, same environments. Like, wow, like, you know, that's a positive experience. And that really inspired me a desire to go learn more. Like, okay, well, what, what else is true out there that crosses boundaries? You know, what, what are the other first principles as a leader I can design around? You know, uh-huh. going back to that life cycle, those stages, yeah. Uh, are they easy to identify in terms of numbers of employees? Is that the way it works or is it more sort of maturity? There are other um, mile markers to pay attention to. It's easy to talk about number of employees and revenue size. Of course, that changes over time, you know, but the stages that I call out are, the, you know, pilot it, nail it, scale it, milk it, or anytime kill it. That's on the product life cycle. And there are things you can pay attention to, though, that also reveal your execution lifecycle stage and the market lifecycle stage. Things I pay attention to, this is going to get a little too in the weeds, okay, but it would be market growth rate, the level of competition, the pricing pressure on your core offering, and net cash flow. You can pay attention to those to like a dials on a car, you know, and go, okay, here's likely the stage that I'm in, but really critically, Am I at risk of, have I, have I bypassed a stage? Bypassing a stage would be like, okay, my, my kid's three and now they're, I'm treating them like they're 30. I skipped the teenage years because I didn't feel like I had the time or interest to parent that hard part. You just end up with a load of organizational debt. Yeah. Don't you? Like the same way as you do with, uh, with technical debt. So those dials, I know you, you said we don't want to get in the weeds, but I'm just thinking, you know, immediately I th- I think that's great. So you could help clients see how fast they should be growing. That sort of market analysis where you are, competition pricing, it's like, okay, so are you doing well or not well? You know, because sometimes you're in a business and you think you're doing amazingly well and you're not, or you think you do, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or you think you're not doing really well and actually you're doing, re- you're doing much better than you think once you compare to the competition or the market. Okay. So where I specialize in my consulting work is a, a business in typically in their mid to late nail it stage. And they're trying to drive into scale. Uh-huh. Okay? I'm less interested in how well they're performing relative to the market and the competition and how well they're performing relative to what they're capable of. Okay. And so I want to help them understand where their core business is in their life cycle development now. Is this a late nail stage business that we've been like we did premature scaling? Yeah. Well, do we have another business unit that we're we're failing to get traction on because we're treating it like it's further ahead in its development than it really is? 
that's really the intention of me helping a company identify where the stages are of its core business and its business units is to know how to treat them, manage them, to drive to the next stage. And that structurally changed the way they think about them. Uh, yeah, structure is a mis is a misunderstood term, and it's not the org chart, for example. It's not the people in the reporting lines. And just notice, like most of us, when we think structure, we go, oh, there's Tom doing sales and Janet doing finance and Mark and operate. That's not the people. Like the people can energize the structure, but structure is deeper than that. And it, it's effectively how the business is organized. Right. And design controls behavior. So if your business is organized one way and you're wanting it to do something new, but you keep the old organization in place, the inertia of the old will continue. Inertia is a real thing in life yes. and work everywhere. So oh. at key points in development, you got to go, wait a minute. If this if this is a change in strategy or change in life cycle stage, rule number one is I must, I must change the structure to support that new strategy or new life cycle stage, or I'll get, I'll perpetuate the status quo. Does that make sense? It, oh, it does. I mean, I, I would say most of the clients that I speak to, prospects or clients that I speak to are they're battling some transition point. Yeah. Right. So like what got them here isn't going to get them there. It's either the CEO is prescient enough to go, I know the wheels are going to come off. I just can't see where, or the wheels have already started to come off. And it's like, what did we not do? Cause it looked like it was going okay. Yeah. And yeah. And what, what are the design elements we need to shift here to break through without harming our culture, our entrepreneurial DNA, you know, uh, those are great learning lessons. <laughs> In your first business, then when you sort of, uh, move people's job roles, yeah. kept the same team and, and accelerated again, away again, how did you change? Yeah. What I changed was, well, first I had some leaders in uh, role conflicts and that's a very common thing, you know, like I had my head of culture and talent overseeing HR administration. Aha. Uh -huh. Not the thing that brings them joy and energy every day. But also notice the inner conflict in the company. Like, hey, why am I listening to this person for leadership skills and cultural development when they're managing my benefits administration and it's where I go to get fired if stuff goes wrong. But also notice the, the style of leader who really excels at culture and talent is different than this leader who excels at HR admin. I just thought people, you know, okay. I was missing some roles in the structure, you know, like imagine you're a, a professional football team and you're going, you need to fill 11 players, but you're going on the field with, with nine. Well, like I just didn't have the awareness that holy moly, I'm short a couple players here on the field. I just because they all finance is finance and people is people and marketing is marketing. You know, I didn't have the awareness to go, oh, those are actually distinct functions buried in there. And they weren't their own dedicated leader in resources. OK, now the level of awareness I had back then was very pretty high level. And what I, you know, I spent 10 years like really diving deep and like, what are these first principles here that dictate how every system behaves? And then you can use those principles to design your business to scale. So I already mentioned one, if you want to go, if you want to hear them. Yeah, 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 yeah. These are rules of structure. Okay. Structure is not the org chart. Structure is how your business is designed. One strategy changes or life cycle stage changes, life cycle stage changes. You got to change the structure. Okay. Two, don't let short range overpower long range. So we see that all the time in our personal life, right? Like if I'm working 60 hour weeks, 
what happens? You know, I start eating worse. I'm not working out as much. I'm not as present with my family. I'm like, okay, I just got to get over this hump at work. And then I'll take some time and I'll really think about where I want to be in the long range with me. Yeah. Business is the same. Okay. So you'll see it all the time where companies have collapsed short range functions and are, or they've allowed short range functions to overpower long range ones. Right. So let me give you an example. Sales and marketing is a very common title. The head of sales and marketing. Okay. Sales must be very short range oriented. If there's no new leads, sales coming in, we're going to die. Right. But marketing has to keep a long range orientation for brand architecture, buyer personas. Where's the market market headed? You know, those are two distinct functions in the structure. If you collapse them as one, even under a very talented leader, that leader, by the way, has finite energy and time. They're going to have to make conscious and unconscious trade-offs all the freaking time. And also they just have a natural predilection one way or another. Totally do. So you've got a great head of marketing. You're asking the fish to climb the tree like, hey, and drive my sales for me. And they, they won't. Or they won't to the ability that you could if you really treated those as two players on the football field. Each have a role, focus. Each have a style that's different. Break them apart. It's interesting, isn't it? We, we see that in some clients where head of sales, for example, might be really good at execution, right? So like, you know, running the playbook, great. Then the market shifts and they have no strategic capability. Totally. So everybody says, well, they're head of sales. They need to come up with a new plan. Right. But, but they couldn't come up with a new plan if their hair was on fire so that everybody's angsty and they hate themselves because they feel like they should come up with a plan. But they don't ask for help. Yeah, they've been set up to fail. It's unfair. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's one one rule. Uh, second rule. The third is uh, don't let efficiency overpower effectiveness. Okay. Now, this one won't seem like a problem in a chaotic startup, you know, or early scale up because there's no efficiency, right? There's no control. There's just total chaos everywhere, right? But what can happen is an organization quickly overcorrect. And so efficiency in means to be repeatable, controllable, scalable, no errors. Like a, think of a six sigma environment. You feel how tight that is, you know? Yeah. No errors allowed. Okay. So in an attempt to get more control and chaos, they can over index towards efficiency. And then they, what, what happens is he snuffs out effectiveness. Effectiveness is the ability to adapt, break glass, try new things unknown it's it means to do the right thing no matter what right different bits of the business need different granularity don't they well they, yeah, they do and they need a different a totally different macro approach too so your audience would never do this but just in, intuit with me like let's say you had a, a head of operations okay well, you wanted more control over your sales department and so you put sales under ops you never do this, I know, but I'm just illustrating an example, okay? No, no, but you but you might put pre-sales in operations. Pre-sales are making sure that we're doing the quotes. Statement work becomes 12 pages instead of one page. And guess who's super frustrated in that? Who's happy in that, in that environment? We've moved pre-sales under ops. Who's happy? Ops. Hope they're happy. Because finally, those cowboys are under my control. <laughs> we're only going to do deals that we've agreed that are the right kind of deal, we know that sales is unhappy, but really critically, you're going to watch your revenue top line fall. <laughs> yes. okay? so you, you just designed yourself into a disaster by trying to get over, trying to get more efficiency where you really needed to keep high effectiveness. Yes. Okay. Right. That happens. Yeah. That happens. Real, that's a real thing. Yeah. 
The fourth rule is that you don't want to allow centralized control to overpower decentralized autonomy. So structure has a bad name because when we look at a structure, we t- we're, we're conditioned to think control. Oh, here's the guy at the top. He controls everything. You know, I want to be the guy at the top or I want a more expand of my control so I can control any, any leader who's actually had in that spot, they realize it's a total delusion. There's no con- very limited control, right? Mostly it's influence. And we want leaders who lead mostly through influence. But the only reason to have a structure is to push autonomy deep, to push authority to where the decision-making occurs to where the work's getting done, you know? And so what happens is as a company scales up, it starts to get more procedures, policies, and those things start to spread like a cancer throughout the organization. And what, what can happen, a couple things here. One is it stuffs out that ability to be autonomous and to like customers, you know, but also that part of the organization can try to just justify its existence. You know, it's, look, we're doing our job. We're extending policies. We're extending control. We're extending, and the leader who can misorient and, and actually the leader needs to make sure that those those encroachment of control is at its most minimal and only over the most significant things of the business. You know, things like a change in strategy, you know, something that might harm our vision and values, like a, a big loss of capital, you know, fraud. Like they need to make sure that we have appropriate level of control, but only over those things that can really cause us systemic harm if we get it wrong. And everything else, you push as much autonomy, especially to those functions a function is something like sales, marketing, you know, customer success, those functions closest to the customer, you're pushing autonomy to the max. I've spent most of my working life running the European arm of North American companies. Yeah. So great. You know what I'm talking about here. Well, so I just remember uh, we got this UK <laughs> business that, that I was running, got acquired by a North American company. And all of a sudden we couldn't do our own press releases in the UK. They had to be approved by head office marketing. Right. So I said, okay, that's great. This is motivational. I was able to do it before. Nobody's died yet. And now I need to send them to you so that you can add what sort of magic. So what are the guidelines? What are you going to do with it? No, you just need to send them to me. So I said, right, we're not going to do them anymore. We're going to do press briefings instead. And there's no rule about press briefings. So I don't need to send them in for approval. (laughs) And it's just, man, people, it happens all the time. It happens with innovation you know, like a new product, you know, that's a new product, old sales team is one of those life cycle things, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great illustration and happens all too often. And a great CEO, in my strong opinion, has a sword and they're just constantly vigilant about, you know, not allowing that encroachment across the globe. And, you know, part of that is cultural values, right? Part of the amount of people you have, but really critically unknown in a lot of cases is the structural design itself allows you to dial up for more autonomy or dial other areas in for a little bit more control. So that that's a key lever in that ability to get more autonomy where you need it is structure. How does that show up? Like what's the real, real example, a good example of that? Well, the most real way to experience that is, is to understand another element of structure, which is complementary to structure, but not the same. And, and sorry, I have to go a little in the weeds here. If you look at me, my a structure would be akin to my musculoskeletal system, okay? If my hip's out of alignment, my life's going to suck. 
I'm in pain. I'm not going to be very mobile. Okay. But I'm, I would be a dead skeleton without a circulatory system neural net that makes me come alive. Okay. Business is the same structure in the business would be akin to the musculoskeletal system. It must be in alignment to support the strategy. Don't let short range overpower long range. Don't let efficiency overpower effectiveness. Don't let control overpower autonomy. How do you dial in control and autonomy is actually process. It's the neural net. It's a circulatory system. And so a structure comes alive through its process. It's processes. Okay. And for me, everything comes together at the leadership team level. So the leadership team isn't just a few C-suite. It needs to be a cross-functional team represented by the structure so that the CEO as leader has visibility, holistic, you know, cross-functional visibility into the business. And if they sense through data, through uh, feedback, through role updates, through there are a lot of different mechanisms we use to get stuff on the table. If they notice an encroachment of control, that's exactly where they provide corrective action. And so just releasing the area that needs less control, give it more autonomy. You don't need to follow it. I mean, I've got a great example of that. It's uh, back at Rackspace when at the time we were the largest hoster of Red Hat Linux in the world. And of course, all of the people in the organization had a deep hatred for Microsoft. But we could see that the growth was going to be in Microsoft. And if we tried to launch a Microsoft product in that environment, it would fail. So we took 100 smart people and we put them in another building and we said, start with a blank sheet of paper and design the best Microsoft hosting offering in the world. Right. And don't talk to these guys. Don't use any of their product. Don't use any of their process. Don't use any of their tools. If, like if it's any good, do. But be, be an absolutely no obligation to do that. Right. And then, and then bring it back when you're ready. And it was a year later, they brought it back. And really, they, the new business then took over the old business. Yeah. Now, I imagine if you reflect back on that period, the staff that wasn't pulled out into the skunk works was like pissed or questioning. Or- I, uh, I think we just got on with business as usual. Like, cause I was one of the people who wasn't in that, that new team. Like I knew it was there. I understood the strategy as an executive, but it was just sort of business as usual. Like we've got lots of stuff to do. I, I could absolutely see how, if it was handled uh, it could do, but I've always thought that that was a really good example. It, it is a great example, and it sounds like really good leadership by you and the rest of the exec team. I've found that if you can give the rest of the team a metaphor or a map to understand, hey, we don't manage all business units the same. This is a pilot stage initiative. It's going off in its own office. It has very, very high autonomy. We're not going to even attempt to manage this business, this pilot stage, as if it was in a later stage. Or this acquisition that we've just made yeah. that's at a different f- stage of the cycle. Yeah. And we're now going to just kill it with some bureaucracy. Yeah. So having the maps or metaphors that build shared consciousness across the team, I found is helpful to get them to go, okay, I get it. You know, like I'm not going to overextend my, my compliance team over in this area right now. I, it's, it's risky. I want you to know it's risky, but okay, you know. So an executive team, then I don't know, it might be typically four or five or six, maybe. Yeah. But in your in your world, it's bigger than that? Yeah, it's much bigger, about twice the size. Okay. All reporting directly to the CEO? Not necessarily. Okay. So the, the leadership team is built off of the structure. Not every leadership team member needs the same title. 
or just the same comp comp set by market. Not all of them need to report to the CEO, but on that team, they're representing them, not themselves, they're representing the role. When you think about that, is that the sort of customer journey or value creation through the business when you're thinking about that multifunctional team? Well, uh, when you're designing the structure, you you want to think about you know what is the ideal value stream here? What's the core customer journey? What's the product, the ideal product development journey? What's the ideal employee journey? And you want to design the structure based on those things. Now, notice that has nothing to do with hierarchy. It's like what is the right process to identify, sell, retain, develop customers? You know, yes, which is totally different from what they've ended up with. Yes. Because they've promoted Fred because he was the longest standing developer. And, and now all of a sudden, we've got this hierarchy that doesn't work. Yeah. We've got a marketing guy who's all about brand, but what we need is lead development. Yeah. And so that actually takes us to the sixth rule of structure is, you know, there, you, you don't think about people so far. Like, I notice I haven't talked about where Fred goes or Mary goes or anything. And that's the hard part of doing this is you just start from a blank sheet of paper you think upwards from first principles. You don't let thoughts of the current people and their their history and their career aspirations into the equation. Once you're clear that this is the right structure to scale, now you can take your team and start to place them into this new structure based on role fit. You know that would means alignment with the culture, the skill, the style. You know, fair comp. It's not unlike being a football coach and you have a play design on the whiteboard, and on the right you've got your list of you know top twenty four people players you start to put mike here and sarah here and susan here that's you can cover a lot of ground just having the discipline to not go to people too soon and then the last step then is to energize that structure you know process is what brings structure alive we already talked about that a little bit so yeah and is there a complication of having a structure in an org chart that people feel is very different yeah there can be a complication but it's an unnecessary one if you need an org chart, it should evolve from the structure, okay, not the other way around. But don't let your HR admin team involved in the structural process too early, or they'll start to go, well, the titles have to change. And the da, 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 da. no, not true. Okay, you don't have to change a title. You don't have to make a new hire in order to, to launch a new structure. But that can be hard for some people to get comfortable with. And so you just, you just like, Get the design right before you start to have those people discussions and you'll you'll save yourself a lot of time and headache. And you'll also generate a lot of insights about where you've had structural flaws without even knowing it. And then I guess you then take the people that you've got and the jobs that you've got yeah. and you try and line them up. Well, you already have defined the jobs to be done in the new structure, okay? Yes. So you already have a lot of clarity about what demand gen is really accountable for compared to what brand marketing is really accountable for, okay? Now, you may have had one head of marketing. Let's say it was Jason, and you got a decision to make. Is Jason better in brand marketing or is he better in demand gen? You're going to be really tempted to go, I like him. He's a good guy. I'm just going to continue to give him both. He's going to oversee both brand marketing and demand gen, and we're going to hire under him. You're going to miss some leverage opportunities. Like demand gen is warrants a world-class leader. So does brand marketing. And if you're trying to both grow sales and launch a new brand category, you know, a new product category, you'd be well-served to energize world-class leaders in each. They're, they warrant it. They're accretive, you know, to the top line and the bottom line. So you just got to think of it like that. Why would I ask my, my defender to play offense, run around the field and play both? At some point you got to go, okay, 
that worked in an earlier stage. It's not what's required to go to the next stage. So I'm going to have the courage and the discipline to go. We're energizing the right people into the right roles in the structure. Okay. Do you have a structural map? Yeah, I use a map. It's called the structure map. It um, breaks all these rules down into four quadrants. So it's kind of fun. You can you can get this map on my website, organizationalphysics.com, if you're interested in the if you like the thinking and the approach, but basically you have quadrant one, which is about short range effectiveness functions. Okay. That's where you're going to put functions like demand, gen, sales, new market expansion. Fundamentally, they get up in the morning and they say, okay, how do I get a new sale? That's like 98% of their orientation, (laughs) new deal, repeat order. How do I get a new sale? That's their orientation. That's they have fun and energy and time. That's where we want their attention. You with me? Yep. Okay. Now, to this is better done visually, okay, but quadrant two of four quadrants is where we put functions that must be short range, but their efficiency orientation needs to be high or higher, okay? They need to get up in the morning and they think, okay, how do we do things in the right way for customers? So those customers could be external or they could be internal. So in quadrant two, you put functions like operations, manufacturing, data analytics, product management, you know, things like that. Notice they have to do things in the right way because we have new customers, we have existing customers, we have external needs, we have internal needs. They have a bias mostly towards efficiency. That doesn't mean there's an absence of being effective. Okay. It just means that the scale to here. So in your mind's eye, picture quadrant one, that's where we're, for an animal, that's where we're eating. Quadrant two is where we're digesting. And I'm, I'm drawing a, a two by two matrix. So then quadrant three is below quadrant one. It's a two by two matrix. Quadrant three has to keep a long range orientation and it has to keep its effectiveness high. So this is where we put functions that they get up in the morning and they say, okay, how do I do the right thing for this company? Business strategy, strategic finance, culture and talent, a new product R&D, product strategy, brand marketing, community. that needs to go here because notice the orientation has to be towards the future and what is the right thing to keep this company relevant and growing and scaling and it gets to changing environment. Yeah. Okay. If we were an animal, this is where we would procreate, right? This is where we would evolve. Now, quadrant four, this is the completing the two by two matrix. Quadrant four is about keeping the company out of harm. It's like the immune system. It protects us from internal and external threats. It has to keep a longer range orientation, but efficiency must be kept higher. And they got to get up in the morning. Okay, how do I keep this company out of harm? So notice, unconsciously, I could have very easily given one individual accountabilities across multiple quadrants. They have finite energy and time. So I'm asking my head of manufacturing to also be my head of compliance. Yeah. Yes. Well, and also... I think it uh, it helps you think about, as you were describing, I was thinking, well, those quadrants aren't necessarily the same size if size relates to investment. And probably that links back to your life cycle. You know, when you start, you've got no customers, we better get some. Probably going to be more of an emphasis on quadrant one. At some point, you're going to have to have quadrant four at the beginning. Yeah, but if you had over-indexed on quadrant four in the beginning, you're not going to start. You're not going to get anywhere, yeah. right? Yeah, you're gonna so. have that. You're gonna have that statement of work that's twelve pages long on day one. And fundamentally, you would want to always keep quadrant four as light as possible, as tight, as limited as possible. Don't let it. It'll, it'll naturally want to expand, but you want to keep it tight. Well, and at the beginning, probably outsource it because it's not a full time gig. 
It's a wonderful insight. You could actually outsource all of Quadrant 4. There's plenty of service providers willing to pick up that for you. Yeah. 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 Because you only need a little bit of it. Yep. A little bit of it goes a long way. That's right. Yeah. Fab. Um, that's been absolutely fascinating. What Now where you sit in your journey through life and coaching CEOs on their structure, what is it you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? Wow. I have many things I could say. My life's been one of continuous journey and progression. I learn mostly through feedback, you know? And so if I didn't have those experiences, like I wouldn't have the learning with me. Uh-huh. And so I really, I really value, I have high priority on the, on the learning. The main thing that I wish I knew earlier would be to, you know how, how I talked about finite energy and time? Yeah. Yeah. I want to be in activities and relationships where I experience energy gains. If net-net, most of my key relationships and activities, I have this subjective experience of this is adding to my energy and I'm giving a lot, right? I'm not saying I'm withholding and I'm getting more than I'm giving. I'm giving a lot and I'm getting a lot. You with me? Yeah. Okay. That's a great barometer of where to put my time and attention and to make any adjustments. Because if I have an energy draining relationship, you know, I'm either going to end it if I can't end it, I'm going to try to change my mindset about it, right? Find what I appreciate about it. I'm going to practice giving that individual the freedom and autonomy to be who they are, right? Even not who I want, they are who they are. You know, you notice what I'm doing? I'm just using this as a barometer to go, okay, I'm a little out of balance here. How do I shift that perception? How do I shift that mindset so that I'm getting net net more energy gains? Okay. That simple paradigm will take you as far as you want to go. It'll help you make a decision every fork in the road. It really will. And you get really masterful at it. Like I can, I can real time, I can sense, is this going to, this decision going to add to my energy or cost me energy? And I'll just go, if it's a drain, I'm not going to do it. I think is that, that's an Asian experience thing to just go, no, earlier in my life, I probably would have done this or, and now I just go, life's too short. No, go on. Bye. Thank you. And it's very natural because at that stage in our life, in our life cycle, we don't know what we don't know, right? So we say, yes, we do that. I want to try this. I want it all. I want to do that. And you, you know, you get to a point where you, you've accumulated it all. And you're like, this sucks. <laughs> I don't need this experience anymore. I've, I've tasted that water. I can let that go, you know. But if you don't have those early experiences, I don't think you can bypass that stage yes. legitimately. Yes. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because the, the thing about coaching is you've got your experience and you can share it. But people learn through their own experience. Right. Can't teach me. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, so you've got uh, four books. Yeah. One about, I guess that sort of some of that sort of spirituality thing that you're talking about there, enlightenment. You've got one about hiring, and then you've got two really about organizational structure and scale. Yep. So uh, the organizational physics book kind of lays out the, the principles, and the new book uh, designed to scale kind of takes – the structural component of scaling to a, like a, a very deep dive and a, a new paradigm, like a new way to think about that challenge and how to design your structure the right way. And then the hiring book. So just imagine you've designed your new structure and you're going to recognize, oh, I've got a role misfit or a gap. What's my mindset that I should use to try to fill that gap? And so it's a way to think about using sports analogies like, okay, how do I recognize the right new hire or promotion for this role in this structure? Yeah. Yeah. Great books. I've enjoyed reading them and 
enjoy reading your blog. What other books should people pick up along the way? What else had an impact on you? Okay. So I'm really grateful to all authors, you know, because I can get a good idea out of any book, you know, and people put their life force and creativity into it. So I have a lot of gratitude. We could spend many days talking about great books. Okay. In a context of a company moving from startup into scale up, okay, it's almost always a breakdown happening in product management. And product management is not the same as product design. It's not the same as product marketing. It's not the same as product innovation. It's a real high value, high leverage senior role in the org, but it's under this umbrella of product. And so people conflate what it means. In addition to my book, Designed to Scale, I would go read the books by Marty Kagan. I don't know him. I never read his books before I wrote Designed to Scale. But he wrote two books, one called Inspired and then one called Empowered, which are all about product management and how product management, you know, its purpose, how it fits in the organization, examples of how when you've got it right, what happens. And so in most of my structures, I end up calling forward a product management role that's been buried somewhere else in the organization. And once they get it going, they're like, oh, this is why we've had breakdowns. Oh, this is how we pick up the cadence of product development. I would add that to the mix. That's really interesting because I've, I've had exactly that experience yeah. in companies I've been in or clients that I've coached where there's just that, it's, that's the bit that's missing. Yeah. There's often some other missing roles, but in, you, know, you can almost bet product management's been buried. Uh, and so when I do a structure, I give KPIs to every, every role, every function in the business. And I'm just trying to give some color, like what are the accountabilities of this function? What are its KPIs, you know? I always have the same one KPI that's in every function. I call it, it's called client satisfaction. And what I'm just trying to do, like a hammer, is just no function exists to be in service to itself. It exists to be in service to its clients, internal or external. You with me? Yep. Okay. Beyond that, as like a metaphor and a concept, I've never really been able to identify a way to kind of like help people reorient towards a client mindset. We can talk about it easily. But if I'm, if I'm in sales and I'm upset with my head of product, like notice I'm not going to have a really high client or service orientation. You know, we're both in service to each other. So the work by the Arbinger Institute is really phenomenal and in particularly a book called The Outward Mindset. Outward Mindset. It'll bring to life all the ways we become inwardly focused, you know, to my needs, how I'm right, how they're wrong, you know, and just break that paradigm down so you can really develop external mindset to be in service to our customers. I think you're absolutely right. There's no, there's no customer that loves a company if the employees don't love it first. And customer service or customer satisfaction can never be higher than that internal team satisfaction. And then the last book I'll recommend in, uh, I mentioned this book in the the last chapter of uh, Design to Scale, which is I'm kind of putting forward like a development in leadership to go from a hero to a sage. And a hero leader is like, climb on my back, man. I'm carrying the heavy load, right? And I'll carry us all up the mountain. And that's fun and energizing. And you realize the limits of that. And then you need to shift to more of a lead, lead by design. And that requires a change in mindset. And there's this kind of like a metaphor of sage which comes from the book, uh, Positive Intelligence. And the reason I like that book, uh, uh, Shirzad Shamin is, is the author, is uh, 
I like to meditate. I like meditate a lot. Like I, I'm in, I'm interested in what I would call spiritual growth, spiritual development. But like anyone, if under the under short range pressure or activity, like I'll just be very caught up in the thing, and I won't have that like measured sense of detachment and perspective and awareness that I'm seeking to develop more. So if you're like me, you're like you're aware of like a depth there, but you want access to it more in real time. Positive intelligence has got some really good data and science, and it fits perfectly well for a corporate audience of how your your workforce can kind of activate their sage brain in a practiced way. And the the book is actually good. It's good, but there's an app that comes with the book. It's like a six-week program that I would highly recommend. They serve businesses. So your whole team can kind of go through the six-week program altogether. And I if you think of scaling culture, you know, beyond platitudes, like you need some direct point of contact and reference and experience with every employee. And I really like what they put forward with positive intelligence. So I would check those out. I'll go and have a look at that. Lex, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much. Appreciate all the great work that you're doing. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.